Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. First lesson for today is taken from Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, beginning with the second verse. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeking that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must be everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat, or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. The responsive reading 
It's taken from Psalms 100. Please respond as indicated in your bulletin. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The second lesson is taken from Colossians, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put your death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immortality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeking that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Luke in the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrary arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up his treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. The gospel of our Lord. 
you may be seated. Some of, some of you may know, uh, about a year and a half ago, my father had suffered a heart attack. And thankfully, he's uh, recovered and doing well. He had to have a surgery and all that. Uh, but it was quite an alarming time in my life. It, it just so happened to happen right after we moved to Iowa and begin our new lives here in this church. And then I find out, a couple of weeks ago, one of my cousins had suffered a heart attack. And to my knowledge, he is recovering, and uh, they had to do, go in and put a stent into his heart, and they informed him that uh, he needed to change his lifestyle. The same thing they told my, my father. And as I was pondering kind of this message today, I'd ended up kind of accidentally having a discussion with my aunt, uh, who's not the mother of my cousin, but a uh, sister of the mother, my other aunt's son. But I was talking to one of my aunts, and this discussion came up, because we were talking about, his name's Ryan, we were talking about Ryan, and, and we were, I was getting kind of the, the info on what had happened and how he was doing. Now, a little story of, Backstory for Ryan, he's a uh, lawyer, he owns his own firm, uh, he is a traveling, I believe he does environmental lawyer work, I don't know exactly the scope of that, but he, he's all over the world, he travels on a regular basis, he doesn't have a wife or kids, and so he is married to his work, and I remember hanging out with Ryan when we were younger, and he's only maybe 10 or 12 years older than me. But I just remember at how incredibly smart he is. And just having conversations with him, he is just, I mean, he exceeds in knowledge. He is a brilliant man. And so it only makes sense that he would go into a field that requires such brilliance. And he's been doing that for his entire adult life. Like I said, he owns his own firm and he now travels and goes around the world. But the doctor had told him, you need to slow down. You need to take a breath. You need to change your lifestyle. You shouldn't travel so much. You should eat better. Now, my father, on the other hand, was retired from working in the prison system in Illinois for uh, 25 years. And now he, in retirement, wanted a, a job to pass the time. And so he was working as an appliance installer and repair guy. So a little bit more of a physical job than what my dad had been used to in previous years. And of course, my dad isn't a real big guy. He's been here a few times. He's not a big guy, but he doesn't really have the best diet. And so the doctors told him, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to slow down. So in this discussion with my aunt this week, it just seemed to be kind of the perfect recipe to get into where we're looking at in our sermon this week. But we, as we talked, I, I made the comment to her, I said, you know, I'm so happy. I, I, words just don't even describe how joyful I am to know that I had essentially escaped the rat race. See, as you all know, Janine and I, before we came here, we, I worked in corporate America. 
I did IT for, for a number of years. And so my job was to get up early in the morning and work until late in the evening. And then I would sometimes get home and I would be trying to spend time with my wife and daughter. And then I would have, I'd get a phone call or an email. So-and-so needs this done right now. I'm like, but it's eight o'clock at night. You can't wait till tomorrow morning. And the same thing happened on Monday or on the weekends. I would, I would get emails and phone calls. So-and-so needs access to this or they need this right now. And the demand was always pressing. And I didn't work in a, you know, in a massively important industry. I, I did healthcare for a couple of years and that requires a lot of on-time attention. But the field that I, or the, the field that I was working under was basically a construction company. They, they, they sold uh, housing products, commercial and residential. And so it was always kind of interesting. It's like, you know, yes, there are people that work on the weekends in that field, building houses and doing repairs and stuff, but most of the transactions, the sales and all that is only done Monday through Friday. And so to get the email on a Saturday morning that so-and-so needs this was always a pressing thing for me. And I'd always be scared to wake up and check my phone and see what I had to go on and to do that morning. But one of the things I told my aunt in our discussion was I was so happy and thrilled, joyful. Again, words just fail me in exclaiming this to her, that we have left that life for a much different pace of life. I thought, boy, you know, once I go into ministry, things would slow down a little bit and things would kind of become more routine. And we've been here now a, a year and uh, nine months, and I've yet to find one single week that has been routine, which is a beautiful blessing. But here's the thing that really got me thinking. When I was working in corporate America, I would get up at five in the morning, go to work, and then I would call Janae on my lunch break, and then I would not see her until late in the evening, and most of the time she would be walking out the door to go to work. So I wouldn't see her, but maybe one or two nights a week. I think we had Thursday and Friday nights that was like our family night. But now I get to spend the whole day with her and the kids and in this community and amongst all of you. And it changes the perspective because see now it's no longer about the pursuing of the American dream. It's the pursuing of what God has given us. This blessing of the gospel. <clears throat> so our story today draws the attention to another parable that Jesus is teaching. Notice in the first verse, right off of the bat here in verse 13, someone in the crowd yells to Jesus to make him demand that his brother shares the inheritance. Sound familiar? Well, just a few short weeks ago, when we did the interesting little tell us service from my office, we looked at Martha and Mary and we saw a very similar structure of a story. Martha goes to Mary, or goes to Jesus and demands that Mary get up and help her with the housework. And there's a similar construct between that message, the demand of Martha to Jesus, and then 
this mystery person in the crowds demand to Jesus for his brother. In fact, they both reside under the law. They're demanding that Jesus do something to fulfill a certain requirement, a certain aspect of the law. In Martha's case, it was to get Mary to help her cook and clean. And in the parable today, it is the brother to share his inheritance. And in both cases, we know that Jesus doesn't act in the manner that we think he would or we, we want him to. Instead, he moves and draws attention to what is important. On the surface, these two accounts may not seem like they have a lot in common, the Martha Mary story and our parable of the rich farmer. But they both target a fundamental aspect to our lives. See, Jesus responds to Martha not by telling Mary to get up and go help, but he responds to her by saying that Mary has chosen the right portion. But she pushed aside all the noise from Martha and all the demands of the house to welcome these guests, and she found what matters, listening to Christ. For the person in the crowd, they're demanding that Jesus tells his brother to give him the inheritance. Now, this comes to a more direct point to that aspect, that fundamental aspect, and that is the need for our security. We have an overwhelming desire in the human nature to want to prepare for tomorrow or to prepare for the inevitable, a rainy day fund, retirement account. This goes on. <clears throat> and as the person in the crowd makes that demand, Jesus again shifts the focus from the demand and gives us this parable. One that drives to the very core of our existence. In fact, one that causes us to examine our own lives, our own desires, and our own ambitions in this life. I often hear people, especially in, in previous industries that I worked in, talk about what they wanted to do in retirement. They want to travel. They want to spend time with their families. They want to live a life without worry. Now, interestingly enough, this concept of saving money isn't really that far off from this parable. Jesus goes on to give us the insight to what is actually important in this life. So this farmer, in the parable, has had some good years of crop production. He has had an overabundance, he has had plentiful crop production. And he says to himself, as everything is going so well, that he has such an abundance and life is so great. I'm going to build bigger sheds, bigger barns, bigger silos, so I can house all my grain, then I will take it easy. I will kick back, I will drink, and be merry. Notice the dialogue of the rich farmer. He speaks of himself. There's not a single thank you from the rich farmer in this parable to anybody who may have helped him in that quest for an abundance. There's no thank you to the farmers or the, the workers on the farm. There's no thank you to the community for selling him maybe cheaper crop, seed, 
There's no thank you to anybody. It's all focused on him and what he's done. The selfish nature of man shines bright in this text. And then he goes on and has the audacity to tell his soul to just relax. Take it easy. You've got many years of crop to rest upon now. He's earned it. He's done so much work. He can take however many years off now that he wants. Thought about this story, the rich farmer, and a comparison to the American dream. The American dream, it's the White House, the picket fence, the family with husband, wife, and two and a half kids, the nice car in the driveway. That's the American dream. That's what they paint for us and tell us that this is what you should want in life. All of these possessions and all these items. This is what you should want. In fact, if you go and you just turn on the TV and you watch a commercial, what are they trying to do? Sell you a product. They're trying to tell you, you need this product in your life. If you're up late and you end up coming across like those infomercials, those are the best ones yet. Because they're selling you something so obscene, you would never think that you need it. But then you're like, but maybe I do need that 700-foot hose that retracts. <laughs> they're good at selling you that. They're good at positioning and, and marketing that product. You work your 30 years in this world, you save enough money, and then you retire. If you are diligent in your saving, you might be able to retire earlier. Or perhaps as uh, a lucky winner in Illinois finds out that he won the lottery, $1.3 billion, I think it was. I don't think he's going to work the rest of his life. Even after, if he takes the full chunk and taxes and all that, I don't think he will have to work. That's a lot of money. If you have all of that, you think you can retire. You think you're safe. Your life is now protected by your money. Now, the American dream isn't a bad thing if viewed in the right lens. Working your tail off for 40 years and saving your money diligently and having a, a, a means to which you can retire is not a bad thing. Because reality tells us at some point we will all be forced to stop working. We will all hit that wall where our careers are now different. We have to stop and move on to something else in our life. The dream that many have is that they can save enough through their working careers to be able to do that. So then they don't have to go and get a job as a greeter at Walmart at the age of 80. But let's make a distinction here between the normal working life and this farmer. The farmer here is actually abusing the gift that God has given him. He sees that he has a surplus, and he goes to build bigger silos and bigger barns to store it all in. Remember when I pointed out the self-focused aspect of the farmer? Everything that he's worked for, it is all because of him. He's the one that did all the grinding. 
doesn't take any time for him to not thank anybody. More importantly, though, I notice he doesn't bother to even thank God, the abundance. See, the rich farmer isn't a fool because of his wealth or that he's saving for his future. He is a fool because he thinks he can secure his life with his possessions. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, Job. If you ever have a chance, go read the book of Job. It's a wonderful book. And I always find an interesting connection because, see, a lot of people like to uh, demonize wealth, especially in the American church. It's either, it's, it's, as long as the pastor is getting the money, then that's okay, but you guys shouldn't be focused on wealth. And, and then in some cases, it's all about wealth for everybody because, you know, that's what God has promised us. But what we see is demonstrated throughout Scripture, especially with Job, is that it's not about the abundance or wealth that we may have in this life. It's about where our security in this life comes from. Do we actually go and resort to thanking God for every dollar we have been given the privilege to steward over? Do we praise God for when we get an unexpected windfall? Do we look to help others because we have been blessed abundantly. And I think this is a common trap for all of us to fall into. More so today because we have the convenience of luxury in this life. The pursuit of materialism entices us. And I've spoken of my desires in previous lives, how I wanted to work myself up and my retail chain, I used to work for Best Buy a long time ago, and I had this, this really, really terrible dream of, I wanted to work my way up the corporate ladder. I wanted to be a part of the territory team that would travel all around the area and help other stores. I, I don't know why that was my dream, but as an early 20-year-old kid, that's what I was thinking. I wanted the high-paying job. I wanted the nice house. I wanted that nice car. And this is the dream of so many in the West. And in fact, I got lost in that pursuit. I left retail and found a field that pays more money, and that's computer science. And so I try and make my way up the chain in that field. So when I speak of the emptiness and the vanity of materialism, I have a little bit of experience. The pursuit of materialism will always leave us empty. Why? Because we are seeking the comforts from a world that can't possibly fill the void in our soul. Because the truth will set in, no matter how much money or items you have, you'll realize what you don't have. And to top it off, you are bombarded with ads everywhere enticing you to buy more stuff. Take that vacation. Go do this. Buy this. You'll always be aware of what you don't have, which will always keep you chained to the materialism culture. Like the rich farmer, we are tempted to think that by having large amounts of money and possessions stored up, that will make us secure. But sooner or later, however, we learn that no amount of money 
or property or items can secure our lives. Because what happens to the farmer? God shows up. And God calls him a fool and tells him that his soul is required of him. So here's the reality we face. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed for you. Now, we love to make plans. We like to save for a rainy day in our retirement. I'm sure many of you have calendars with all the little dates of things that you have going on in the coming months. In fact, as I looked at our calendar on the fridge, I looked at August, and I'm just like, oh, we got a busy August. Grayson's going to be starting school soon. That, to me, just blows my mind. And so now we'll be in the routine of the school year, actively working from end of August, early September, all the way through May to ensure that she's at school every day. She can be. So we love to make our plans for tomorrow. We love to, to throw the dart out into the future and say, I hope that this will be there. But remember what Jesus told Martha. All of this is well and fine. Because you, you should be saving money for retirement. You should be good stewards of the gifts that God has given you. But it's not the most important aspect in our life. All of the things that the rich farmer had was great and well. All of the things that you have are great and well. But they shouldn't be the most important aspect in our life. And they shouldn't be what identify us as. What is the most important thing is hearing the gospel. There's nothing greater than that. Because that's exactly what Jesus tells Martha. And that's what we get in the parable of this rich farmer. Is he had no desire to thank God or anybody else. And, and he was all about boasting himself in his works. Making himself be better than everything else. And so he could take the time and, and just relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. There's no desire to plan for anything except his immediate future. He has no desire to plan for eternal life. Mary knew what was important. She knew that she had to hear the words of Christ. While Martha and our farmer do not even pay an ounce of attention to God. This farmer is so focused on his riches and his temporal life, he doesn't even have eyesight for eternity. And throughout the gospel accounts, we see numerous conversations very similar to this one. Our focus, as Christians, should be shifted from our own desires and our own pleasures to the things of eternal life. The importance of this is high because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. You're not guaranteed it. That's the reality we face. The grim reality is that some of us may not make it to the end of the day. That could possibly happen. I hope it doesn't. I hope all of you come back next Sunday. But we have to understand that this life is fragile. This life is so fragile. And it can come at the blink of an eye that the Lord calls us home. And so our attention shouldn't be solely focused on all of the material items that we are heaping up in this life, even though, like I said, working and, and saving properly for retirement is good and well. But the attention should be on hearing the gospel. 
over and over and over again. I say it all the time, Luther's, one of Luther's, my favorite Luther quotes is, I must hear the gospel every day because I forget it. And we get so lost in the world, our, our, our busy calendars, every everything that we have to do in the next week that we quickly, if not immediately, forget the promise of the gospel. That in Christ we receive rest. Not like rest that we get on our weekends from our jobs or our family, but a true spiritual rest. We have comfort knowing that Christ has paid for our sins. We have the comfort to know that when our time does come, that when we stand before God, we have Christ as an advocate. And this is the promise that is given to you, and to all of your children, and to all believers. That Christ died and rose from the grave to forgive you of your sins. Amen.